Hey, welcome to On the Wing Podcast with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Uh, the podcast is very young, but we have what I believe is the best show yet. Uh, we got an interview with Tom and Tina Dockin together. If you've listened uh, to, to Fan Outdoors in, in the Twin Cities and the greater pheasant country where, where K-Fans um, heard, you've probably listen to some um, some interviews with Tom and Tina over the last couple of years. Well, what we've done here is sat down in their home for an hour and a half long session talking everything from how they met each other over a bird dog, how uh, they started to date, and Tom quickly learned he shouldn't coach Tina too much, either with her bird dog or on how to become a, a, a bird hunter and a shooter. Uh, it's just a really, really fun conversation between the two of them. And we talk about Tina's journey, uh, becoming a female bird hunter and, you know, what, what's out there for bird hunters that are women today versus, you know, when she first got started. Uh, we talk about clothing, gear, and, um, you know, the new trend in women's oriented shotguns. And we finish the conversation with... Uh, you know, a very l- debated question. Can your bird dog tell the difference between a rooster and a hen? Tom Dockin, the great Tom Dockin, bird dog trainer of fame, uh, will weigh in on that question. Here you go, On the Wing podcast, coming up with Tom and Tina Dockin. All right, welcome, folks. Uh, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast coming at you live. Actually, we should have been recording like the last 30 minutes because we're sitting in the uh, just beautiful home of uh, Tom and Tina Dockin. And uh, we've had, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes of fun conversation already. And, you know, since this is early in our podcasting stage, we'll, we'll learn to always have the recorder going, but we'll recreate some of that conversation. But uh, my name is Bob St. Pierre with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, and I'm joined uh, with, uh, with my co-host, Anthony Houck. Good morning, Anthony. How are you? Howdy. <laughs> it's great to be here. <laughs> and uh, as, as I mentioned, we're sitting here with uh, Tina Dockin and Tom Dockin. Two of the most well-known uh, dog trainers, uh, the face of Frankie women's shotguns, <laughs> Tina. Uh, we are going to have um, a f- wide-ranging, very fun conversation um, this morning. And I, I guess, you know, I was thinking that we should have ladies go first and have Tina introduce yourself, kind of get us to the point before you met Tom. So, like, tell us where you grew up and kind of did you grow up as a as a bird hunter? And just let's start the story there. Well, um, you might have to cut the podcast because once I tell you where I grew up, people might not want to listen anymore. Um, I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, so I'm <laughs> definitely a cheesehead. And I you're bleed. one of the biggest Packer fans I, oh, I yeah. know. Well, I bleed green. My grandpa's construction company built Lambeau Field. So the stories I heard from him having handshake deals with Vince Lombardi were just amazing to hear. So um, I uh, went to school, obviously, in Green Bay. I went to Kansas University, played golf there, and then came to Minnesota um, and just to visit my brother, who was here in Minnesota. 
dropped off a resume for the heck of it at the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I thought, well, I'll have no chance of getting a job there. That was my first job out of college. Interned and worked my way into sales position. But um, anyway, so moving right along. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you I don't want to give some you nuggets yeah, there. Like <laughs> so the first time I ever met you was at the Pheasants Forever Golf Tournament maybe 10 years ago, and I think you had the best score of, out of everybody there. Yeah, I was just – I remember, didn't you – At the golf tournament? At, at our golf tournament, yeah. and I think you like, signed up people for lessons at the end well, of that deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the deal. The guys always want me to play because the women's tee box is about 100 yards ahead of the men's. So they want me there so that I can hit the drive down there and so they have a half a wedge in to the – so that's the whole point that they want me there. And they, like, Tom always calls me the ringer, but I, I'm just responsible for the drives, that's all. But, no, it was – that was a fun, fun, fun game. Well, and I didn't know the Timberwolves connection. What did you – so you said you were an intern to start? I started out as an intern and um, still good friends with the person who hired me. And the only reason – I mean, she had a stack of resumes. The only reason she, she was looking through the resumes going, okay – there's got to be somebody good in this pile. And she saw that I went to Kansas University, and she was from Kansas City, and she just pulled out. Well, she's got to be good. She's from Kansas. <laughs> that is the only reason I got here. So, um, yeah, so I worked there as an intern and then um, worked my way into a sales position and was there for about a year and a half. This was before they had the stadium, so we were at the Metrodome. Oh, wow. Yeah, so working. you were the inaugural year. Right, right. Group sales. We were doing anything and everything we could to try to sell tickets. I'd sit around with uh, Brendan Tennant and we'd talk, okay, how can we sell these tickets? You mm -hmm. know, so we'd try to come up with different schemes of selling it. We had a Final Four contest between the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and the only way you can play in that basketball tournament was if they had a ticket to the game. So just any creative way we could come up with just to sell tickets or Christmas gifts for kids. You know, please buy some of these tickets so that we can send kids to basketball games. So it was a fun job. Had a great time. Um, you sold one to my dad. Uh, I did? <laughs> yeah, you bet. I'm, I, I'm old <laughs> enough. I saw, I saw the Timberwolves play Golden State back when Golden State sucked. That's a, that's a different time. <laughs> but – I, I just thought I'd add that the Metrodome was a horrible place to watch basketball. So if you sold some tickets there, you must have been doing a pretty dang good job. <laughs> it was. It was awful. But well, we did. We had the attendance record, so we were pretty, we were pretty proud of that. Yep. In fact, I still have – I can go get it right now. It's this huge billboard of the attendance that we had there. So it was, it was a fun year because we didn't even have a team, and we had to sell tickets before they even had a team, before they even had players on the team. So, yeah, we, we had to work pretty hard, but it was a, it was a great, fun job. Um, and I ended up working with one of their corporate partners. I left and went with Honeywell. And through um, Honeywell, I met uh, a person who bred my very first dog. Huh. Um, and I took that dog to game for every single day because it was, we're going to go to all these dog events. And it was like taking your kid to the game fair. So I was taking my dog to, you know, game fair. So women, if you're listening out there, you do not have to go to the bars anymore. You just go to game fair to meet your husband. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's I how I met Tom. There was foreshadowing there leading right up to um, it. So, yeah. so enter game fair, enter <laughs> Mr. Tom Dockett. Yes. So, <laughs> all right. So before you met... Tom, tell us your life story up until this young lady walked into your life. Well, I uh, I grew up in Roseville, Minnesota, which is a suburb of the cities, and uh, uh, went to school there. Sports, uh, a lot of sports, football, baseball, hockey, the whole nine yards. Uh, 
hunting wasn't part of my family, although my mom grew up out by Mobridge, South Dakota, and as kids, we'd be out on the farm there. She'd take us out there, and we'd spend a good portion of the summer, so, you know, had that real rural background. Fishing, my dad fished, uh, so we did that uh, to a certain degree, not, you know, real intense. And then uh, in high school, uh, met a real good friend who is a great friend uh, as of today, uh, Bruce Nolan. Uh, we played sports together. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, you know, it was probably, I'm thinking it was maybe a sophomore year, uh, he, he took up hunting, although his dad didn't hunt. And so he had a black lab, and their family had had labs up to that point. And uh, he was training it because he, he wanted to hunt it, and I'd never hunted with a dog. So he, I went over to his house, and he says, well, I'm going to watch. I'm going to throw something for him, and he's going to come back with it. And I had no idea. And I said, what? I said, you know, I said, no way. And dog went out and picked it up and came back in. I thought, oh, that's pretty neat. And the dog's name was Charlie. And uh, Charlie, when we look back at it today, um, Charlie was like, he had more energy than you could ever imagine. But what sold me kind of on the dog thing was we went hunting, and we were hunting this little creek up in Aiken County. I mean, this thing couldn't have been more than maybe 15 yards wide. And there was high grass on both sides, probably 15 feet high, this really tall cane. So here come these green wing, uh, blue wing teal, I guess it was, down this creek, and boom, 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 we shot. We knocked three of them down, but they landed in this really high grass. And I, I'd never hunted with a dog, so I'm going, well, oh, well. You know, we're not going to find these. Well, we took the dog over there, found the first one, went over, found the second and third. Now, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> so, I mean, that was, that was a big eye-opener, but it was during high school and, you know, sports and so on. And... Uh, you know, I said, I got to get a dog. Well, my parents knew better than that. And they went, ah, no, we know you don't have time to take care of one. So that was kind of, all right. But we hunted all through uh, all through high school. And and um, it was kind of after after high school, you know, I did, my, uh, I did my college stint. I think I made it one semester. And unfortunately, that happened during hunting season. And you go like, all right, now there's a conflict here. <laughs> so you can only, you know, you're only going to miss so much school. And you go, well, okay. Uh, but the dog thing really wasn't a profession at that point in time. But uh, I, I did get a dog right out of high school. Uh, the funny thing was I was still living at my folks' place. And uh, my dad was kind of like, no dog. Nah, not going to happen. Well, I knew someone who knew someone who had this five-month-old black lab female puppy and I'm going I'm getting that thing so I built built a makeshift kennel on the back side of the garage and I got I brought this dog home dad had my dad had no idea he comes home from work and I, he'd said later on he goes he said you know what I didn't know what to say but the fact that you just did it I said I felt like probably clobbering you, but he said if because he knew that if I wanted it that bad, I was going to do it. And then I started running some field trials uh, informally, and my friend had done it too, so that kind of got me hooked. Uh, but uh, then it kind of took over from there, and uh, I worked uh, a night 
job, uh, 4 to 12 at UNIVAC in the computer room. Now, this was when computers about the size of the Empire State Building. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm not a computer genius. My wife would tell you that. Uh, but, you know, it's just... She's you know, giggling for yeah, folks oh, listening yeah. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> you know, you're loading these big tapes on these machines and stuff. But it was 4 to 12. And so you'd uh, get off, you know, go home, go to, you know, go to sleep and then could do some dog training during right. the day. And I started training part time at this facility. And, and that's kind of how things at a different the, facility, not the computer facility. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Although so, you so probably could have brought dogs in there, too. Well, uh, funny thing is a lot of the in fact, the guy who owned the kennel and he was doing a part time, he worked there and field trials so everybody there's kind of a group of guys there that hunted so you kind of had that camaraderie of it so get together and train during the day but uh yeah so my days were you know were pretty full with that and then basically it was after that uh it was like all right this is fine but i think i want to do this for a living and so that guy who actually was renting a kennel and it was out by the metro winchester gun club Hmm. at that time and uh, he then bought uh, Rio Raj Kennels, which was well established out in the Mound area, Mound Watertown area, and he said, "Well, do you want to do this full time?" So I I jumped on board, and and uh, you know, kind of there was the rest was history. Once you start, once you start doing it, and it, it the love of hunting, the love of dogs, kind of I think brings everybody. And I know our own staff is the same way. They get in it because they love to hunt, they love the dog thing, and then you know you just kind of go from there. So were you working? one of those kennels booths at game fair when you met tina i was and you know tina we both have our stories on, on that's what that so that, goes, that's an important know. part and now right. i have yeah. the exact Who, story men never mem- remember the exact <laughs> details so this is the the part that i've debated the most about this interview who do i ask to tell the story well you have to ask both of us who, who normally tells it well, he tells we both it, have our but okay. he doesn't tell it the right way. All right, so ladies first. <laughs> um, as I said, I was always taking my dog out there. But one day, it was really hot, so I was sitting on the hay bales lakeside, and I was watching this competition with my dog, and I was eating an ice cream cone. And two bales over, that's where he was sitting. But throughout the, the day, I had gone to all these dog seminars because I was just trying to educate myself and learn how to train not necessarily for hunting, because I, I had not even been introduced to hunting at all, but just from my obedience standpoint and trying to teach my dogs new things. And um, so I was sitting there, and a friend who a friend of Tom's who had done a seminar earlier in the day, who of course I waited for afterwards and asked him a million questions, because I like to get that one-on-one mm-hmm. personal question thing. And um, he 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 saw me sitting on the hay bale. And he looked over and he said to Tom, yeah, chocolate labs are just completely useless. <laughs> and so he was saying it so he would get in a reaction out of me. And so, of course, we just bantered back and forth. And then all of a sudden, before I know it, I'm surrounded by all of Tom's friends and they're inviting me out to dinner. And then I said, yes. And I'm going, what was I thinking? Who are these people? <laughs> so here I am going to, um, what is it, Don, is it Don Pablo's in 
in uh, Maple Grove. Yeah, and um, <laughs> and I'm like, we're not going to let you tell the version. Yeah, <laughs> it's obvious you don't remember. The no, I remember details, you know. And and I'm driving, I'm driving there, and I'm going, what am I doing? And this, I'm by myself, my dog's in the back. And I get there, and I'm like, okay, they seem pretty. It was Lee Chose and Bonnie mm-hmm. Chose and 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 Mark from um, Tritronics, and so. Um, so I get in there, you know, I set my drink down, go to the bathroom and I come back and all of a sudden my drink is moved next to Tom where he's sitting. I mean, like, no, I didn't do that. I I wasn't the one who did that. Who did it? I think it was Mark. It had to been Mark Zeff. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's how it got. Well, and before that, when we were at Game Fair, we were talking dogs, of course, we got to talking and then we decided that we were going to trade um, golf lessons for dog training <laughs> lessons. So he was going to teach my dog how to hunt, and I was going to teach him how to golf. And to this day, he says my dog is the best trained hunting dog ever. She was at the time, and that his g- golf game never got any better. <laughs> but he never practiced. I did. So, yeah. I did all the drills he told me to do with my dog, but he was a slacker on the golf end of it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, your your uh, opportunity to correct anything <laughs> that you disagree with on that. Well, story. how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a podcast, so we have uh, as much time as you need. You know that, but your marriage might not take it. <laughs> no, that that was that was real. That was accurate. Um, yeah, and it just started. It kind of started off as that. And then uh, Tina came down, and yeah, we did some lessons. And she had a dog that just loved. Uh, I mean, that dog loved to work. She'd do it 24 hours a day. I raise my hand now when I – because I don't want to interrupt my husband. So he, you were, you didn't call on me, though. Yeah. You know, we were training the <laughs> other day, uh, and one of our friends was over there. Tina was out there, and we were training. And, <laughs> you know, it's because when you're, when you're going – and she's useless because people don't know yet that Tina's a, a math teacher. You know, I mean, so yeah, she's used to seeing important. used to seeing kids raise their hands. So we're we're training away, and this is my friend that introduced me to the to the whole dog thing, and we're great friends. He's over, and we're working dogs, and <coughs> Tina's there. She's getting ready to work her dog, and and he and I are talking, and and she raises her hand, and he looks at me, and he goes, "She's raising her hand." I mean, like <laughs> you've got her raising her hand. I go, "Oh, don't get too carried away. It's that's not." That's not how things go around That's our house. because I talk but, so much, yeah. so I sometimes I interrupt them. And but I wanted to add to the story earlier. My my dog Samantha, she was chocolate lab. She was chocolate lab. She didn't really like men that much. Like hmm. I, she just didn't warm up to them very much. And um, I remember Tom said he had to go back to the booth. So as he's coming back to the booth. My dog is at the end of her leash jumping up and down. I'm like, what are you doing? You just met this person, you know. So my point is, is everybody needs to really pay attention to their dog. They have this inner sense that they can tell when something's right or wrong. So the dog The dog knew before I did. So, yeah. yeah. I only had potential. Yeah. <laughs> I only had potential. <laughs> and she pulled it out of me. Yeah, I guess. I she guess gave you the master a, hunter yeah. title. He'll <laughs> never forget that comment. I made it to my sister because my sister was like, what do you think? I, well, he has potential. So. <laughs> well, you brought up the, the math piece, so let's close that part. So, so <clears throat> University of Kansas, golfing, yeah. Timberwolves. Honeywell. You're a math teacher. Oh, Honeywell. For How'd 11 you? years um, in sales. And um, then I decided I – 
I was coaching along the line my cousin's basketball team, and I, I thought re I really liked coaching. I liked working with that age group. And so I decided to go back to school and get my teaching license, hmm. and that's how I became a math teacher. So it was my first year of teaching that I actually met him at Game Fair, and um, I teach seventh grade math at Northfield Middle School right now, and I love it. Yeah. So she's pretty modest there. I mean, she's teacher of the year. I mean, so she's oh, really? like, she's way, way good at what she does. I've, you know, she gets to sit in and watch me do my thing, but you know, I've gone to her classroom and uh, and watched her do her thing and you know you know we're dealing with dogs one-on-one -on -one. i mean she's got 30 plus students all the time and and to watch that interaction with her kids and then if we're downtown northfield and uh you know we're you know just part of the you know part of the neighborhood and it her invariably her kids will come running up to her mrs doc and mrs doc and all oh, you know that wouldn't have been me back in school like oh there's that doc and kid but but that interaction <laughs> and how good she is with kids, I mean, has a lot to say with. Well, that's know, a natural how she, how transition to where I wanted to go, which was, okay, you guys met and start da started dating. So I'm assuming there was a teaching component of dog training and learning to hunt. So did Tom teach you how to hunt and how did that go? Well, we first started you know, obviously you were grinning the whole time I, I was leading up to that too. <laughs> I'm like, I know where this is going. Um, he first started showing me how to handle a gun and shoot a gun. And the first thing he did was he put a clay target on a stick and he had me, you know, sh try to shoot the clay target. And I thought, wow, I am really good. Well, at that time, I thought it was just one bullet coming out, you know, and then then he really blew my confidence when he said, <laughs> it's a whole spread of BBs. I'm like, you're kidding me. <laughs> he was building your confidence. <clears throat> I know, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> yep. So, um, but we, when we started to go on a hunting um, process, we, we ended up, or when he started teaching me about hunting, we ended up at Scattergun Lodge. And he felt like that was the best place for me to learn how to shoot a gun with um, Chuck Ross. Which and is in South Dakota. Right? Yes. Right. Yep. Yes. Yep. And so um, he did the smartest thing ever was he hired somebody to teach me how to shoot a gun. You said that right. I said it right. Now, do you hear the story when I was at Pheasant's uh, Forever Banquet and I was speaking at the banquet? At the, yeah, the Ramsey County, but I haven't heard the story. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, my. So, and that was the day that it was 18-inch snowstorm. Yes, so okay, little, that's yeah, right. It was it a little was... stressful driving there and everything like that. So, I got up in front of all these guys, you know, and they're eating away. And I said, the smartest thing my husband ever did for me is he hired somebody to shoot me. <laughs> and then and Tom's like, yeah, they weren't listening before. They were definitely listening because everybody's forks kind of like went flying and they stood up like and then they start laughing. Then I start laughing. I'm like, OK, I meant to say I said he probably wanted to shoot me after he started working with me, working with me you know, to shoot a gun. But, um, yeah, he definitely put me in the right hands with Chuck Ross. And, and um, I'll never forget when I first started shooting he kept having me shoot and shoot and shoot. And Tom's like, why are you not saying anything to her? And he said, because she needs to get over the fact that this gun is not going to just kick her butt, mm. you know, because that's all I could think about was like, 
oh, is it going to hurt? Is it going to hurt? Is it going to hurt? Were you intimidated the whole time? Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I felt that. I couldn't focus on the clay target because all I was thinking about is this going to hurt my cheek. Yeah. So after, and, and he explained to me that, Tina, if you hold it tight, it's like if somebody's going to hit you, they start like five yards away and they come in with their fist, that's going to hurt a lot more than if they're right up against your cheek and it's tight and just the tighter you hold it, you won't feel it. And so after a couple of boxes, I'm like, well, this, so what? It's not doing anything for me. It's not hurting me or anything like that. Then he started in on the instruction and then it was just like, well, I should back up a little bit. He started in the lodge and he had me find something with my eyes, look at it and point at it. And he said, all the gun is, is an extension of your finger right. down the barrel. So then after I got over the kick part of it, then he said, okay, now find it with your eyes and point out with your gun and shoot. So all of a sudden, before you know it, I think it was like the third or fourth box, I hit 19 out of 25, and I was like, wow. And So I want to back up just one question. Sure. Um, so you've got this dog, Samantha, yes. right? And you're in love with your dog. Now you're dating Tom. Yeah. And I'm assuming you're sort of training your dog to retrieve and do some hunting-oriented things. What went through your mind, or what was your thought process between here's my dog starting to learn hunting mm -hmm. to I want to learn how to shoot and I want to hunt. What, where, where did that like? Was it a natural like? Oh, I need to take well, the next step. Or honestly, um, my dog, I felt guilty that her parents hunted. So what I actually did when I lived at my townhouse in Plymouth was my brother-in-law. I made him get me like a frozen duck, something from when, because he was a big time hunter, still is. And um, so I would put this duck in my freezer and once a week I'd go in this big field and I'd hide it, you know, so she could go and find it. She thought it was the greatest thing ever. So um, Tom said that that was enough that kept her instincts going. So I just did it out of pure guilt that I wasn't taking her hunting. Okay. And so then when I had this opportunity with Tom, you know, I was pretty excited about, okay, now I can really get her out and experience the whole hunting field. Because I feel sorry for my neighbor in Plymouth because I said, you know, take her out hunting. Well, that was before I knew what I know now. And I'm like, oh, he must have, it was, it must have been horrible because she didn't know what she was doing. Mm. I just assumed that, well, she was finding the frozen duck so she can go out <laughs> with him and she'll be able to find anything, you know? So, yeah. And, and I'm, now I look back and I'm going, oh, I want to write an apology letter to that guy, you know? So, <laughs> Maybe you got a whole bunch of frozen <laughs> ducks. <laughs> well, and then she'd always come out of my house and she'd go jump in his trunk like, okay, when, we were go when are we going? So I assumed she knew what the heck she was doing sure. but I look back I'm like oh she had no clue no clue but um so anyway so that's how I thought oh this is great great opportunity for my okay. dog to get out hunting and and I was driven by pleasing my dog mm. I grew up with labs and so for me to watch my dog work is like anybody watching their kids play basketball on the court so for me I it just I was pumped up to do that. So dog to ham and a hunt to learn to shoot. Then you are you guys still dating or are you married at this point? We're dating. Dating. Yeah. So were hunts dates? Did did that evolve that way? Oh, pretty much. We got on the road and we went to we hunted at Scattergun. Yeah. 
yeah, we'd been in South Dakota, and we'd been out there, and we duck hunted, we duck hunted here. So she had, you know, she had some. I think I had shooting experience in, in mm-hmm. 2001 was when I met Tom. Yeah. And then, um, well, we got married in 2003, but I, I had, I, we spent our honeymoon driving around and I was doing the independent study for getting my gun safety. Mm. So, but we did, when we were at Scattergun, that's, we did hunt there too. So, mm-hmm. but I didn't yeah. have my gun safety at the time, but right. yeah. I don't remember if yeah. I did or We'd not. We'd be driving down the interstate on our honeymoon and she's <laughs> got her book out there and she's, you know, <laughs> studying all of that. So yeah, that was, that was quite a deal. Do you remember your first rooster? You know, funny thing about it was he remembers it because I'm just going along and trying to figure this whole thing out. And I used to say I'm hunting in the red stuff. Like I always called it red stuff, the CRP. <laughs> and he. Why do you call it the red? I, of because it looked, the, the, the sun would shine on yeah. it and it would get that little red yeah. tint to it. So big, I just called big it Big blue stuff. stem. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and I shot it and he's like over there jumping up and down. And I'm like, okay, I shot a bird. All right. Like, it just kind of, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It just was like, all right, now my dog needs to get, now, now let's see if the dog goes and gets the bird. Let's see how well my husband did on the training <laughs> aspect of it. But yeah, I mean, the dog went out, got the bird, and um, he's like, did you see that? I'm like, I pretty much did it, so <laughs> I couldn't watch it. So you remember every detail of the the meeting and the dating. Oh, yeah. Do you remember every detail, Tom, of of that bird oh that was a big deal well that was a big deal because i know how how long it takes to get somebody to shoot and actually hit something and it's not like the first pheasant she'd shot at right and so you want somebody to be successful with you know with shooting just estimate how many had she shot at until that oh come on now let's not go there uh, yeah. <laughs> well, how many do you say like it was it a year long multi-year long was oh. it a hard like hard-earned first rooster it was a fall type thing. Okay. You know, probably, you know, three, four hunts or more. And, and oh, that's I mean, that nothing. Does, yeah. I mean, but it doesn't, you know, it's a, that, you that have no inaugural idea bird that being though. shot. Sure. I mean, that's kind of a big, you know, because there's a lot of things. Pheasant hunting, there's a lot of times, unless you're hunting with a pointing dog, there's not a lot of time to get ready, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we know like when the dog gets birdie to look for. So those are all the things that she was learning. And then the bird gets up you know and to get it to not you know get it knocked down that's a that was a big deal so yeah. i'm like going yeah but he going says, nuts and, he and says she's like oh, yeah, okay <laughs> so <laughs> wow i have a question though yeah. kind of going back yeah. to the instruction in this process is and just to set the stage a little bit i mean i have some family members like women that's mm-hmm. where i'm going with this is women hunters you know and still only constitutes what like three four percent maybe of bird hunters of bird hunters um, and, and they're, they're getting into it. Uh, even some of our coworkers at pheasants forever, they're, they're novice females. And you know, they, there's, um, there's a, there's a struggle there, you know, learning. I mean, did, did you struggle, you know, early? I mean, that's the thing. Or, Cause I mean, the, the way this is flowing is kind of like, well, <laughs> it, sure. I, I think. I mean, that's kind of what I'm curious about. Was it just like you picked it up and you had it or were, were there some legitimate struggles? Because I think that's. There's legitimate struggles early on when you're shooting the gun. I mean, like I just, I just worked with a woman this summer and, um, you could tell, you know, this is only like her third time, fourth time shooting a gun. You could tell she was still not over the, this is going to hurt me stage. 
Because I said, I know exactly what you're thinking right now. And I said, you're thinking this thing's going to hurt you. And she's like, that's exactly what I was thinking. So, yeah, there's that. And there's that fear of the gun, which I think, you know, Tom always said that's good. Because that means you respect it mm-hmm. and, and you want to make sure you're always safe with it. Um, but you, the more you do it, it's like anything. You get over that fear and then you move on to other things like the hunting aspect. Yeah. Now I'm not, you know, I had an epiphany, I can never say this word, epiphany, about four or five years ago when I was in the duck blind and shooting a duck and I thought to myself, I don't remember mounting the gun. But that's where you're like, you're out of your head. You're just reacting. And same thing goes with golf. Like you're just reacting. You're not thinking. And so it just made me think like, that's it. You got to get out of your head. And, um, but you're in your head to begin with because you're thinking about that shooting aspect of it. You just got to get over that. The more you do it, the more you grow out of it. Then you go into the hunting stage. And he says, oh, it only took him about three hunts, you know, to kill a pheasant or you know shoot a duck or whatever but you have no idea how long those hunts were like i'm really competitive and i was probably okay 10 o'clock we got to start walking let's go and so we i remember early on like we got everything ready and then we got in the truck and right when it was 10 o'clock like we were out walking and then we didn't end till you know sunset like do you remember those long long hunts and there are times and he'd be, you know, he'd get his limits. So we'd sit in the truck listening to the Vikings game. And I was still going through the snow like, I'm getting my limit. I'm getting my limit. And why is he in the truck all warm? And why, why isn't he walking with me, you know? But so it, it's, yeah, it, it, the struggle's real in the beginning. But the more you do it, it's just so enjoyable to be outside and watch the dog work and watch the excitement of the dog and the birds getting up. And there are times when I would look at Tom and like, you might as well just take my dog with, with you because I cannot hit the broadside of a barn. So the struggle was real when, once you get out because you're swinging left, you're turning around. These things are getting up all over the place. And it, I think hunting is a lot more difficult than shooting trap because I just feel like the situation is constantly different. You're always turning around and you're, you know... But I'm sorry, I'm rambling now. No, that is, no. I think I think it's really interesting. It's just you know, there's it's kind of an instant gratification society, you know. And like like my my wife is um, she's still relatively new, you know. She's mm-hmm. three years, three or four years into like really hunting a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's there's times where there's adversity that you know she'll go out and shoot really well and trap, and then the next time she sucks, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But what I'm a, what I always try to tell her is that you know everybody has to go through like you go she, through slumps doesn't she, well, matter she didn't you know I mean even like Tom when you, when you were younger I mean you go through there wasn't social media you weren't maybe oversharing all this information it's like I, I tell that to my wife too it's like you, you didn't see me miss a thousand birds from when I was like 12 to 20 you know mm-hmm. I mean it just mm-hmm. but it still has to be fun at some level. Right. Like that's, uh, but I, I guess you had a competitive streak. That's what keeps you going. And just, you know, for everybody's makeup is a little different. It's like what keeps you battling through that adversity? Because I, I just think it's pretty rare for people to just pick up shooting and rare. this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like you have to put work in at it. So what right. what keeps you going and driving through? Well, I think just be, being surrounded, you know, after, you know, Tom started taking me out, then I started meeting um, like uh, – one of my closest friends, Simone Shara, she's a hunter. So just meeting more people that 
or more women that were involved. And it's, it's hard to meet a lot of women that are, cause there aren't that many sure. in the hunting world, but just being around the people, um, that I was exposed to and having hunting experiences and being able to have hunting opportunities to go out. It's hard to do. It's hard to do that. When, when did you decide just kind of branching off that? Like, um, when did you say like, I'm an independent hunter. Like I don't just go with Tom. I do my own thing. Um, unless you still just go. With no, Tom. I mean, <laughs> no, I just tell him I'm leaving. See you later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because you better just... have supper ready when I get home, Tom Dockin. About right. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, no, I, I, I decided that, you know, sometimes, first of all, I have such a respect for hunting with the gun and, and I don't want to have to focus on a lot of different people. Like early on, I went to this huge, um, women's only hunt and, and it was probably when I first started hunting and to have 20 mem- women walking in a straight line with lots of dogs, experienced and inexperienced, and then guides, I, I didn't have a high comfort level at that time with my own self. And so that's when I thought, you know, I, I need to kind of do this with just Tom or my own to really figure out. But I started out just with Tom because I wanted him to kind of guide me through the process. But then it was like, okay, I don't want to worry about Tom and I don't want to worry about his dog, you know, cause the dog goes a certain direction and it's so much fun. You want to follow the dog. And then when my dog takes off, I, I don't want to, you know, beep her back. I want to sprint, haul butt, keep up with her, get a good workout while I'm at it. And, and Tom's not, you know, he doesn't want to run. He'll just wants to take his time. But I love doing that. I love sprinting ahead and I'm like, come on, Tina, keep up. Just keep going, keep going. And then, of course, the hen gets up. But <laughs> I, so I kind of have my own thing. I, li- I totally enjoy going out by myself right now. And it's, it's fun to watch a dog. And, and there are times when he'll be scoping me. Like, he'll watch me on the property, you know. And one time I went out with both my dogs, which she never recommends. But I sometimes listen to him, sometimes don't. I... I, 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 I <laughs> There are times why I'd feel guilty leaving my older dog at home because she knew I put my vest on. She knew. She's like, we're going hunting. So I take them both out. And one time I had a situation where one, my older dog split low. She went low and my other dog went high. And I'm like, who do I believe? So I followed my younger dog. And then, and there was nothing down. I'm like, oh, she's not going to find anything. There's nothing down there. Show grass, snow. There's no way. And so she got up a rooster, sat, or was a sage didn't. No, that was sage. And then sassy didn't. And Tom called me on my phone. Like, literally. <laughs> he called me at that moment. He's like, you didn't believe her, did you? And I'm like, you're watching. So, like, where, I mean, are you, like, at your house or in the pickup? Or in well, South no, Dakota? we were, we were in South Dakota. So I was back. You were listening to the yeah, no, early, <laughs> really early on. I mean, you know, and, and what Tina was saying there's, you know, when you're handling a gun, and we're really gun safety oriented. I mean, that's the biggest mm-hmm. thing, and we, we always, you know, like, uh, you know, show me your gun. We show each other our guns when we're done. They're broken open. Show me before you put it away, and that's just a thing that we've got going because. You know, being in dog training, and I'm, we're handling guns every day. Our employees are handling guns every day. And my philosophy is every day that you handle a gun, you're one day closer to having an accident. So we really try to talk about that. So, 
you know, a new hunter handling your gun and trying not to, you know, if you're walking with somebody else, where's your gun? Is it, mm-hmm. is it there? So, and she got to the point where she, okay, I'm comfortable enough where I want to hunt alone. And I love hunting alone. I mean, yep. who doesn't like following their dog? So, I mean, literally, uh, we'll go like, all right, where are you going to hunt? And she says, well, I'm going to go hunt the southeast or do this. So, uh, I don't know, that's fine. So, off she goes. And so, I could just see her. I was back at the house, and, and I could see that, she, oh, here she comes around the corner. And I watch her dog. I'm watching her kind of come around the corner. And, and I see the one, I seen the one getting birdie. But going down, there's a big snowbank, so there really wasn't much cover there. And I saw the dog going, oh, she's going to get something up. And Tina's kind of looking at the other dog. And I saw, that's why I had to make the phone call. <laughs> but uh, what's, the be- what's the best spotting scope to watch? For, watch, <laughs> watch your wife. <laughs> no, well, you don't have to answer uh, Well, you know, but a lot of cases, because she does like hunting with her dogs. If I'm, if I'm somewhere else hunting, I'll, you know, she'll jump on the four-wheeler here at home and she'll run down before school. Early season, you got a little bit of time, and she grabs her dog, goes down. She'll hunt ducks for 30 minutes, jump back on the four-wheeler, get up to the house and get to school in her camo clothing, mm-hmm. and her kids all. They understand. Oh, Mrs. Dockin, how many did you get this morning? So, But she likes hunting <laughs> alone, and, and but you're really not hunting alone. You know, you guys got dogs. If you're hunting yeah. with your dogs, you're really not hunting alone. So, so yeah, we can't have a conversation with Tom Dockin and not drop a little Dockin dog knowledge on us. So, you know, Tina talked about you advise her not to hunt with two dogs at once. Give us the rationale for why that's a bad idea. Well, it... It just depends on how much you want to handle dogs and what, you know, what dogs you have. And if you have one that's, you know, that needs to be handled a lot because they range a little bit more. Now we're talking retrievers. So, I mean, you, they, you can't have retrievers. one out there. Yeah, you can't have one out there 75 yards. And so if you have dogs that are competitive, I mean, it's just a lot of, it's a lot of handling those dogs to keep them in close enough and then keeping track of two dogs at the same time. It, it's different if you had pointing dogs out there. Oh, there's one pointing and you, know, you walk up. But here, it's just a lot of work. Right. I mean, it'd be like almost like duck hunting. Do you need two dogs in the duck blind that you're handling at the same time? Well, yeah, you can if they're steady, but those dogs are <laughs> going to be competitive too. Well, if you're trying to make, you know, if you're trying to get your ducks and get to get to school like Tina is, and <laughs> be there on time, I mean, you might. I don't know, maybe. Well, <laughs> or the natural example which she just articulated, right? It's like they go in different directions. Which one do you trust, and why make that? Why yeah. put yourself in that position? It's just more. It's just more work to do it. There's but no I've, rule that says you can't. I find myself now. I have pointers, but I find myself in that same quandary. Like, am I going to really leave one of my dogs in the truck? I, you know, I would rather have them both with me, enjoying the mm-hmm. day, and miss a bird. Right, or right. Not get absolutely. It, it, just to have both of them in the field. But in the pheasant field, you know, there were times when he wasn't going to pheasant hunt that day, and I'm like, "Well, your poor dog." So I said, "I'm just taking all three of them out." <laughs> and I, and when you think about it, it's a better Good luck. chance. See you, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> but it's it's on our property, so there's no like close roads and better chance of retrieving any cripples. Yeah. So that's how I looked at it. But I knew who I had to handle, and I knew who would do the check-in. So. Yeah, I mean, it's work, absolutely, but it is so much fun watching them get so excited. And then when there's three of them with their tail wing, you're like, okay, there's got to be something here. So so yeah. let's let's go down the, the road of um, a new woman hunter 
for a little bit longer and talk to us about what you witnessed. Because now, fast forward to 2018, and Tina Dockin is the face of women's shotguns for Franke shotguns. So talk to us about when you first started hunting at circa 2001. Yes. To yep. today, what have you seen in terms of you know, clothing for women that want to hunt, shotguns for specific for women. Has it come a long ways or do we still have a long ways to go? Oh, I think from a gun standpoint, it's come a long ways. I mean, I used to shoot his hand-me-downs where I'd have to get cut off. So I think I started with a Remington 1100 and, mm -hmm. and it was still heavier um, at that point in time. But being that Franke came out with the Catalyst line, and it's made for women because it's easier to hold. It's so much lighter. And, and they say women pretty much have longer necks. So it fits them better. Um, and I, I still have to get things cut down. I have a 12 and a half inch length of pull. So um, I still, no matter what, have to get it, get it cut down. But um, from ease of use, from the fact that they can hold it better, it's lighter. And now they've got these oversized controls. So if you have gloves on, mm -hmm. it's awesome. And... Um, I know another fear that I know a lot of women just talking to them just start using a gun is getting their thumb stuck when they're loading. Mm. I haven't had that problem with the, the Catalyst line and, and the new the Affinity 3 also I have as well. And with these the oversized loading ports, it's amazing how you can just, you know, put it up there and, and not get that bruise that I've had several times. But um, so the gun aspect has come a long way, and it was exciting when Franke came out with that. Um, and I was actually shooting a Franke before they came out with that. And um, and then from the clothing, you were shooting a, a Franke, Franke that over was under. sort of um, not specifically made. Correct. For, and then they came out with a women specific. Correct. Gotcha. Correct. Um, from the clothing standpoint, I mean they've come a long way because there are a lot of women getting into hunting, whether it's deer, pheasant quail so it's kind of fun to see it taking off and the clothing aspect I mean it's hard like for a Cabela's or um, Bass Pro Shop to sell certain a lot of clothes for women because there aren't like you mentioned earlier there aren't a lot of women in the hunting sport so there's not a lot of sales per, per se but there are some um, clothes like we talked about Covey who does you can send a pair of jeans and they'll put facing in. So you can send your favorite pair of jeans. And, and that's been a struggle just that's trying. That's right. It was Covey. It's a yeah. website in, based out of Charleston, yes, right? Where yes. Where you can send I, your jeans and they'll put the, they'll the, put the facing Cordura on front on. Right. So no more struggle of trying to find that. And, and I know we talked about, you know, women, we like to have our fat jeans and our skinny jeans, you know. And sometimes so you're ta <laughs> we've talked about, you're, you're referring to when we've had you on KFAN. Yes. Because yes. Tom and Tina have been frequent guests on the radio show in the Twin Cities. And we've, we've talked about some of these uh, clothing challenges yes. and, and pants in particular oh. historically have been the biggest hurdle for women trying to find something that fits it is. right. Right. Absolutely. And um, and having the stretch and, um, you know, they still want to make those stiff pants that I call the the Lubner pants, but that's, I'm dating myself now. Uh, was that Saturday Night Live? Saturday up. Night Live. Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana. Anybody heard of that? Uh, the Coneheads, whatever. I remember the Coneheads, but yeah. you got me at Lubner pants. 
They're you the know, ones the that are up, up around your, yeah. your neck. <laughs> you guys are on the wrong podcast. <laughs> so, no, it's it's nice, though, to find – because there's so many different kinds of jeans. So it's nice to be able to send in a pair. I mean, I was hunting um, with some pants that a friend of mine, Tiffany Lacoste, had given me. Great stretch, you know, great stretch in here. And, and then I went down to Kansas to hunt in the governor's open, and you get – you walk through these burrs and these really, mm. really stickers, and I was just getting nailed left and right. And I thought, all right, I got to do this. I got to send my jeans in and get that facing put on because it was miserable. And and you can wear chaps, but I, I don't know why I got away from them. I just did. It's You forget them. And, you know, you go to South Dakota, you forget them in Minnesota. You go to Minnesota, you forget them in South Dakota. So you never have, you know, the same stuff wherever you're traveling. And so – you just make do. I mean, half the time I was wearing all his hunting stuff, you know, and I didn't care how I looked. I'm not a fashion queen, so it does not matter to me um, what I look like. And um, so, yeah, it's they've come a long way, though, and I'm excited that there's more options out there for women from the clothing standpoint, but especially the gun. If you do not have something that fits you right, you're, you're going to be miserable, mm-hmm. you know, shooting a gun. What about um – Footwear. What do you wear from a boot perspective? Um, I for Upland, I just started wearing, and I'm gonna forget the name of it. Um, lacrosse. I I had lacrosse boots for a long time. Muck boots. Okay. They're so much lighter and they fit like a glove. And I've been using those because every time we hunt in South Dakota, we always run into water. So I have a hard time wearing those hiking boots because mm-hmm. I, we always seem to run into water. So that's what I use. Um. But for waterfowl, um, I'm always in my waders because we're hunting divers all the time on our lake. And I highly recommend for women because they always get, I always, my feet always get cold, is the, um, the heated socks. Just life-changing. So the battery-powered heated socks? The, oh, yeah. Yeah, and we have the, uh, you explain them. The well, you know, back in the day, you had like this C-cell battery. Yeah. And it's like, they never, I mean, it's like, really? They didn't work. You could buy like 13 pairs of those at Goodwill right now. <laughs> right. And so, you know, and I I would always, because I bow hunt a lot too, or if you're duck hunting and it's cold, you'd put those hand packs in your boots. But I'd been a, you know, I said, no way, I'm not getting a pair. Well, the, the Lukoskis, I mean, they're friends of ours, and because they, they're in a tree stand, you know, when it's 50 below, they said, you got to try the new heated socks. They go, I've been there. They are. They're they're just a lifesaver. And, and, you know, to Tina's uh, point, you know, if you're going to take somebody duck hunting and they're just freezing their butt off, it, it, it not only it, – it's just not fun. So the equipment now, and then they have the, the heated uh, kidney wraps and the heated vests makes all the difference in the world. And, 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 and that's just one thing. You hear that a lot maybe from gals more than anything else is – I don't like to duck hunt because I don't like sitting there freezing right. to death. And, and well, you, and I you raised my hand on that. Well, one you too. don't, and you, now you don't have to. The the equipment's there, so yeah, it's 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 a big thing. All right, so let's get to the A topic, which is docking and dog training. So, is there a Tom Docking philosophy with which you approach bird dog training? You know, I think over the years, everything evolves over the years. How we train now was different than how we trained 40 years ago. I mean, it's just been light years difference. And I think the biggest thing, I know when I first started off, just there wasn't all of the YouTube, the Google. I mean, anything you want to know right now, you just, you know, you just go online. You can find anything dog training wise. There weren't 
DVDs and all of this kind of stuff. You know, there were a couple of books. And the book that was probably out there back then was Training Your Retriever by James Lamb Free. It was kind of like the Bible. And New, the f- newer Old Testament. Uh, I mean, <laughs> older than Old Testament. Okay. <laughs> so, and the, the thing was is that, you know, the dog lived in the backyard. When he gets to be a year old, now let's get him out of the kennel and start doing something with him. Well, when I first started off training, that was, that was kind of it. And I, I look at it now and say, back then, you know, you take a year old dog and, and maybe older, and this is what we'd get in for training. And I tell people it was like wrestling alligators all day long. You've got this dog that's physically mature, that's zero control, and now you've got to try to do something with them. And now the, the whole thing is, and when I do my seminars, and, and I'll, you know, out at Game Fair or wherever it might be, you know, I say that you start training that puppy when you pick it up and hold it for the first time literally i say when you make a selection out of that litter and pick it up and hold it that training process is going to start and people they don't quite get it but when i explain it i say when you pull that puppy away from its litter mates no matter what i don't even care if it's a chihuahua i mean they're used to being in that group so you pull it out of that environment that puppy says i want to get back in i want to get back into my comfort zone so when you're holding on to them which most people will do when they select their puppy they go okay you know, they pick it up and they hold on to it. That puppy, after just a short period of time, says, I want to get down. So they start to struggle. And what I'll do when I when that happens is what I'll, I'm holding them, I'll just put a little pressure against them. And, and the, what's happening there is I'm starting a training process, and I'm not going to talk to that puppy, but I'm finding two things out. I want to find out how much that puppy wants to struggle, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through my first lesson. So as it struggles, uh, and I put a little pressure against it, it it's going to struggle a little bit longer. I just increase the pressure a little bit. But what that puppy's going to do, and I don't care what breed it is, they're going to, they're, at some point, they're going to go, this isn't working because they're not getting down. Mm-hmm. So what they'll do is they'll stop for a split second to try to figure out what they're going to try next because this isn't working. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to time it. I'm waiting for it, and as soon as they stop for that second, I just let pressure off them. I don't put them on the ground, but I let pressure off. And that's good for just, you know, five seconds or so. They start back up. I'll put a little pressure on them again. So what I'm doing it there is when that puppy stops, every time they stop to try to figure out the next thing, I'll let the pressure off them. So I'm waiting for that about when they relax, about eight seconds worth of relaxation where they relax, then I'll put them down. So what they're learning that first time that you're handling is if you want to get what you want, you're going to have to give in. And more importantly, I always tell people when I'm doing a seminar, they're also finding out this big whatever it is that just is hanging on to me <laughs> is in charge. So, but, but you're, more importantly, you're setting up your training for a lifetime because that puppy is learning pressure on and, how to, and pressure off. How do you relieve pressure? So if you're walking your dog on the leash, you know, there's going to be pressure if he's pulling, right? So you want to get them used to giving into that when they're babies. And we'll pick them, you know, and I, we'll pick that puppy up if it's a puppy of ours. We'll pick it up 10, 15 times a day, pick it up, hold on to it. And we're looking to see, you know, do they recognize that when I'm holding on to you, if you relax, I'm going to put you down. So you're actually teaching them how to control you. Hmm. a little bit too 
you know, how do I control this? Well, I mean, the quicker I relax, the quicker they'll put me down. So the whole idea of getting back to your question is when does it start? It started right then. Right. And so adversely, if that puppy's struggling, putting up a big fuss, and you set it on the ground, what did that puppy learn when you picked it up? All I have to do is fight the system, and what's going to happen? You're going to give in. Right. And then the more you give in oh, on a lot of little things, it just makes training that much tougher. So I always say then you got the inmates running the prison after a period right, of time. Right, it's uh, the old adage when you bring that puppy home for the first time and you put it in the kennel to go to sleep and it starts whining, right? And Tina's shaking her head. Oh, yeah. We've all been here, right? right? Yeah. If you open that door, you just created a much difficult road ahead for A you. monster. Yeah, <laughs> you created a monster. And, you know, and these dogs grew up in the house now. Ninety, about ninety-eight percent of the dogs we train, hunting dogs, grow up in the house. So, I always, I always say that, mom, this is your time. That this dog is going to maybe end up being a pretty big dog at some point. This is your time to show that puppy that that you are in control of things as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they'll learn it that quick. I mean, they are they are so smart and figure it out and i always do an example we had a, a puppy of our own that his name was rookie and when i picked him up for the first time and held on to him he the, he was not gonna he was gonna fight 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 to get out of your arms well i i've done this so many times i go okay you keep it up and i'll just keep you know putting some pressure on you and it took him a while you know three four of these quick little sessions we did and he finally the light bulb went on and when I picked him up, you know, and we do this time after time, I picked him up and he just, he flopped in my arms like mm. a wet rag. Like went to sleep? <laughs> Didn't go to sleep, but he figured out that if I act like I don't want to get on the ground, I'll get there faster. Mm-hmm. Well, that's seven weeks old and he already knows how to beat the system. So, and I tell people that as an example of going like, if you're not thinking about it right then, you're already way behind the dog to begin right. with. And it goes for every it, for every breed. What so. if the dog does just fall asleep? <laughs> well, you're going to tell you. But you're going to find out, but see it's also your way of finding out your temperament and personality of your puppy. So if you pick one up and they're just, you know, they're just a marshmallow, you know, and, and, and a little bit of struggle, and then they just give it. It also tells you about the personality because it's important to know from a training standpoint what personality you're dealing with, you know. Yeah. You know, some need a pat on the back, and some need a little, you know, old school would say be boot on the rear end. Not, not a you know, different not little, from it, well, Tina's t- same way. class. And she's so good, <laughs> but she is good about evaluating her students and going – you know, which ones need to have confidence built up here, which right. ones need to be handled differently. And dogs are the same way. But it is a good it, – it tells you right then, what am I working with? Okay, I got, yeah. one, I got one for you then on, on this philosophy thing because it's – circle back to something you said about just kind of the information at our fingertips these days, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Social media and um, – I think we're in an age of info overload. I mean, I th- I like I think there's a lot of good aspects to social media, but one thing I just hate is there's just so much like white noise out there. And as it pertains to the dog world, it's like um, I'm st- like I'm still I'll use just use myself as an, as an example. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm just an, I'm an amateur dog trainer, and so are most of the people I know. But everybody's a everybody's a friggin' dog expert. <laughs> <laughs> everybody's a know it all. So there's just it's like 
how do you seek out the best advice? You know, that, that just seems to be something that's problematic because it's like, especially for like new novice doctor, you're, you got your first dog or early on, it's just like how to sift through all the BS and find like the advice you're going to take. Cause like I said, everybody's everybody, you, you know, how to teach a dog to sit. There's, there's 3,900 opinions. Right. right? And it's mm-hmm. like, w- w- how do you streamline it and just pick the one that works for you? I would, I would you, probably, I mean, do you feel like that? that well, like- yeah. And I mean, so, so if you might be tr- working with somebody, maybe you say somebody's trying to train their own dog. And so you kind of get them on a program. Here's how you go. And, You'll be communicating with them periodically, and they go, well, my buddy wants me to, you know, said his dog, he was doing it this way. It's not to say that that something else doesn't work, but when you start injecting five ways to that dog to do something, I, I would say get just get on a path with something that, that's kind of proven. And that's why, you know, you can do books, and we've got our books out there and so on, But but remember now, you can only put so much material in a book, you know, but, but it's general. We always pick what are the, the biggest topics, which are the things that, that are proven over a period of time. Uh, and then you have to stay with it. I mean, this, you know, your training isn't like, okay, I sent my dog off for 10 weeks, 12 weeks of training, and it's done. It's, it's never done. Everything is in place, mm-hmm. but the value is, is once we get to that stage is what did we teach the owners in order to keep the dog doing it? But the good part is there's a lot of information out there, but but stay with. Once you get on something, you know, stay with it because you're going to get a lot of information out there. And, and we'll, especially if somebody's taking a young dog out hunting, and there's a lot of variables. And we I, we just, I just talked to Tori McCormick the other day. He was writing an article about how do you take a young dog hunting. Um, and, and I've said, you, you go out there and you expect, if provided that they're introduced to birds and gun properly, go out there with the idea that everything's going to go wrong. Everything's going to go wrong because then you're not, you, you're not under the pressure things. You know, if something happens, you go, oh, I expected that. Uh, or, you know, you don't go bragging about to your buddies about how hard you've been working this dog all summer and go out there <laughs> and the dog's going to make mistakes. Then your pride gets in the way. Hmm. And then you might start disciplining that young pup. Well, he doesn't need it. He doesn't need that. He needs to have some encouragement. Although you still shouldn't, you shouldn't say anything bad about another man's dog, never, should you? Ever. I mean, isn't that kind of a <laughs> kids? Yes. You never said anything. Family? Bad about, yes. About dogs? Samantha, no. The chocolate lab? Did you? No, I'm uh, I'm smarter than that. Although we did have oh, some he's... personal conversations. <laughs> Sam yeah. and I did. Yes, he told me he had a. I came home one day from school. He told me he had a come to Jesus talk with her, and I'm like, what'd you do? It was between me and Samantha, <laughs> so I n- do not know what happened. Well, what what did you guys talk about? There's no there's no better place to air it out than right here. Well, right now. you know I'm Repent, smart. Tom. You know I'm I'm. <laughs> unless we can get your wife on the phone and start airing out some of your maybe conversations, <laughs> Confession but time. okay, we but we basically understood. And keep in mind now that Tina's first dog was older, and those two were. And she ran me. Okay, keep in mind I did it all wrong. Like everything he tells you not to do at the seminars, I did it all. So when I met Tom, I found out all the things I did wrong with my dog. Like, well, it was just basically, you know, just some basic <laughs> things like be nice about it. You know, we're we're 
we're not going to come out of the kennel crater. We're not going to go in. We're not going to do some of those things. And and uh, we just work things out. Well, <laughs> heart to heart. We just work things out. Yeah. But, oh, so, but that is it. I mean, so you, Tita, you've seen, Tom, like the skyrocket um, of – Oh, reputation in the dog world, right? It's where he's going to Game Fair, Pheasant Fest. He's a source, probably the uh, top three most well-known dog trainers in the country. Having observed all this, right, like what's what's a nugget or two that people should take seriously or take away that you see like, that's gold right there. I, you know, what do, what do you, what's your perspective on the doc and dog training? Well, we talk all the time about students and dogs and how to read the student, how to read the dog. And he says to me, I live in a democracy and he lives in a dictatorship. <laughs> so he has a little bit more control. Um, but he's, you know, we have, we're in the same kind of profession. Every dog is different. Every student is different. And you got to find a way to get to the dog. I'm always a big believer of if the dog didn't do what you wanted to, it's your fault because he didn't understand or he or she didn't understand what you were asking for um, as far. And he's phenomenal at reading the dogs. I mean, every time I work with the all summer long, I learn something new. And he'll be saying to the customer, did you see the dogs as the dog took off? Did you see how the dog's ears turned backwards? Mm. They were trying, they were expecting me to blow the whistle. They were waiting for it. And I'm like, I never, th- I mean, I know they turn it backwards to hear you, but I never knew as they were in a all out sprint to back that they were actually had their ears behind, you know, so he's really good at reading the dog and not, and knowing when the dog doesn't understand and then creating an environment where we can get the dog to understand. So, I mean, I watch him. He doesn't know this. So, like, I'm video recording all this stuff because I just think it's – he has so much knowledge. And that where's the knowledge come? It comes from all the experience and all the dogs he's mm. been around. But I'll be recording. I'll be watching it back. And I'm like, oh, never thought about that. Or I'll be at Game Fair and someone will come with this really good question. And I'll think to myself, okay, smarty pants, how are you going to answer <laughs> that? You know? And, and then he comes up with this amazing, you know, answer. And I'm like – Oh, never thought about that. Hmm. And like one dog came up and he's like, I want you to train my dog. I want you to train it like you train the Likoski's dogs. And I'm like, oh, how are you going to handle that one? And he, he said, I'm more valuable overseeing all the dogs and helping these trainers grow hmm. and learn on what to do next if they don't know. So I'm better overlooking all of them and watching them and helping them grow as trainers so that the dro- the dogs grow. He's big on making everything really easy for the customer so they can make it easy for the dog. I mean, he's all about the dog, and I want the training system to be really easy. And that's the one thing I hear from a lot of people at Game Fair when I do these shows is, this book was so easy to follow. You know, and of course, I said to him after he got done writing it, like, let me see. I want to read it and see if I can follow it because I'm so visual. And if I can't understand it, and that's the way a lot of people are, they like to see it. But he's really good at explaining something that people can understand. And f- another example, sorry, I'm rambling. But right. at Pheasant Fest, I, I did a Facebook Live, his whole seminar, both seminars, his shed training and, and his other seminar. And I had somebody um, DM me on Instagram and like, 
thank you for doing that because he makes me feel like I can go out and do this myself. And that's what he wants. I mean, there's nothing more he wants than people to work with their dog and to make it easier for people to work with their dog, you know? Yeah, of course he wants everybody to come in and, and utilize the business and everything, but he also wants to give these people the tools to do it themselves. And 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 he's always, I have people DM me questions all the time, and I'm like, well, I think I know who I can ask. <laughs> and so then he's always willing to spend time and, you know, explain things. But sorry, that was a really long ramble, well, but... I- but I think Tina knows also because she's a teacher mm-hmm. that I've sat in on her stuff and we've talked on her end of it that she recognizes that there's kids that are visual learners mm-hmm. and, and and other ones you can just talk to and they have it. And that's there is a big difference. I mean, and, and she gets the best out of her students knowing what route to take, how to get them there. Sometimes it might be an end around versus the direct path. You know, we're, you know, I I don't like comparing kids to dogs because I don't have kids and people go, but I have enough friends go, you know, it's just like, you know, it's just (laughs) like my kids. So I'll let them say that. But I think that that's it is, is how do you get to the end result is different. And and she's great at that. And I'll watch with those kids and, and I'll see what she's doing and, and, and how they respond. But building their confidence but you can't build confidence without having success and that i think that that it, it goes both ways you know and tina brought up a, a word that immediately struck me was tools <clears throat> and that's where i think when i think of tom dockin where you've separated yourself from every other dog trainer is innovation when i think about the the dockins deadfall trainer the shed hunting championship and the growth in that particular sport the use of drones in dog training like you like if i wouldn't have known i would think you have an engineering degree that uh ended up being a dog trainer and where where does that creativity come from i mean where uh, let's start with the the deadfall where the deadfall come from that that story i mean everything that we've done Everything that we've done for in the dog supply business, and even what I'm working on today. Oh, are you alluding to a secret? Well, the, every <laughs> everything that that we develop is as a need of something in dog training. It's not like, well, let's just try to you know come up with something out of the blue. There's a, there's a need for it, and the deadfall trainer was a need more so because. Uh, one of our trainers was working with these young pups. And when we do our bird and gun introduction class, this is all fun. Five months old. I always tell people when your dog comes in for that class, it's like going to Camp Snoopy for two weeks. Mm-hmm. This is go- It's their first time away from home. Uh, we're going to introduce your puppy properly to the gun. We're going to have a blast with birds. I don't want those puppies having to think about, do I have to sit? Do I, I mean, do worry about anything. They're in there to have a blast. So when we get those puppies introduced to water, like say if they're going to be water retrieving, it's got to be fun. Well, one of our trainers is there, and we use live ducks um, and and throw the duck out in the pond and get the puppy to swim and pick it up and grab it. And I'm I'm watching watching every you know all these puppies work, and and one thing I'm noticing on those puppies, uh, and they're average about five months of age you know they're not real big but they'd go up to this duck and it's a live shackled duck and they kind of grab it by the neck and drag it in and and it's not really the place you want 
ultimately an older dog to grab that bird. You want a good body grab because if they're grabbing maybe something by the neck, it's flopping and, and they can't, they don't get a good delivery back. Right, if it's you. a rooster, they might get spurred. Yeah, it's just it's just not the ideal way. And I go, well, how do we? How would we get that puppy to understand to grab something in the middle? Because you you don't want to jump in the middle of this, and then you know try to shove it in their mouth. That's a no no for anybody out there right now. If you have a puppy that's learning, don't grab a bird and say you need to like this and shove it in their mouth because they're going. I hate this now. Mm. So you can't jump in and go on. So how could we get them to do it on their own? Well, because we'd been training for years, and it, there was two types of dummies. There was a canvas dummies, and then there was rubber dummies. And there was a bunch of companies that made those rubber dummies. And there was one company that made those dummies that they were hard as a rock. And if you had, if you were working a dog, like a little older dog, and you had four or five of those different types of dummies that were in a pile the last one they'd ever pick up was that hard one because you know i mean if you had a chance to carry something in your mouth would you grab a steel pipe so to speak or would you grab something soft so i'm thinking like okay so i had some foam bumpers like uh, dock bumpers so i mm. start carving one of those like and you know just with a knife shaving something and i stuck some lawn edging in for some legs, hmm. kind of hard plastic, mm-hmm. and then put a stuck a wooden head on this thing. And the, the idea was the plastic's hard on one end, that wood is hard on the other end. So those are kind of the negatives. And then the foam was kind of a softer feeling thing. And are you watching this? Are you oh, no. He's this playing is, with want, this is BT. BT, we call it. BT, before, before Tom or before Tim. Oh, yeah. I got you. Yeah. And so, you know, Bob, there there's the, right there. there it is right there. This is the, uh, the yeah. that's oh, really? it. Yeah. That's yeah. it. So we're looking at uh, the the in- initial Doc and Deadfall in a glass case sitting on the mantle in their home. And, and you throw it a few times because I wanted to see what they would do. So you throw it, they'd go to the head, they'd kind of go to the feet, and then they'd, oh, that feels pretty good. And and so, oh, was that a fluke? No, oh, let's do it again. Let's do another dog. Let's do another dog. And invariably, they'd go to those other ends, and then they'd end up in the center. And, you know, over a period of time, you go, that's working. Hmm. I mean, that's something where the dog, and the whole idea is the dog can teach themselves. And any time a dog can teach themselves something, you're way better than doing your, your own. And we just, it was just for our own personal use. And over a period of time, people go, well, I want some of those. Well, you know, I mean, we're just, you know, we just made some of these up for us. Well, you only need to hear that a hundred times. <laughs> well, you go, well, maybe we should have it out there. And we knew it was a good tool. It wasn't a gimmick. And you weren't going around the lake stealing dock bumpers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I've been called Mr. Whoopi, you know, yes, for all Mr. the different Whoopi. things. But, but then what we did is we go like, well, we'd see – a young puppy, and if you had a young puppy pick up like a, a towel or something, they pick it up and they shake it. That's that shake and kill. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that predator deal. So, so how do we get how do we get them to know not to pick something up and then shake it and do that? Well, then that's where we went with the loose head. Hmm. Because if they carry it properly, the head will just stay off to the side. But as soon as that head tilts or shakes hard, that head will come up and just 
slap them on the nose. So then we'd have kind of what ended up being the final design of uh, something that they'll pick up properly, carry it properly, but if they get rough on it or shake it, they'll discipline themselves. And you have different birds to simulate different weights? Well, it started off with, you know, our most popular is going to be the mallard, which is kind of what we started off with. And um, it it was good. That was the first product we came out with. And I, I had somebody, it was actually at Game Fair, come up and then we only have that one product that was out and he says i really like your that that duck that you made there but and i go oh good he said but i i don't use it i go well one <laughs> i go well what do you mean and he goes well i'm a pheasant hunter yeah do you it, like so yeah <laughs> well you know and that's the benefit of not only talking to our training customers or people when you're out and you know this because you do pheasant fest and that is you hear what people have to mm-hmm. say the only reason he didn't use it because it didn't look like a pheasant, and he had a spaniel. So you go, okay, well, maybe we want, okay, let's just build a model of pheasant, but it had the same thing, hard legs, hard head, and then we put a hard tail on it. But then it was, now you need to deal with what about these puppies because that was too big for a puppy. Mm-hmm. So then the next thing was we went to a teal, something small. And then all of the other birds kind of revolved off of that whole thing and a goose you know we got that great big goose i can't throw that one very far (laughs) it's like the hammer throw (laughs) but we knew this from dog training is that we'd have you know these dogs that go out and retrieve ducks all day long but you shoot the first goose the dog goes over and looks at it looks back at you like well what the heck am i supposed to do with this thing well we knew it was just because they weren't used to size and so that was then so then that was one we added to the selection and now we have birds quail you know, and people are selective. They go, yeah. well, I can't use a bobwhite quail for my dog because I'm in Arizona. Painted. Hey, I have, I have a grouse so with a quail one and a pheasant one. So it's a gambel's <laughs> quail because, you know, so the, people like to use, I mean, sure. what they use. Are they all the same functionally? Yeah, they are. But every one of the products that we've designed, even like the shed hunting stuff, is how do we build products that make it easy for the dog to understand? So that's what so we So I can already see that we've got to come back and do a podcast specific about <laughs> shed hunting because sure. that's an hour worth by itself. Yeah. But um, talk a, just a little bit about what you see that led to this explosion in people using their bird dogs to – you know, look for, sh- and obviously it existed before you, Yeah. but you know, you maybe aren't the Abner Doubleday inventor of baseball, by the way, alleged, uh, alleged. alleged. <laughs> or Alexander Cartwright, one well, of the other, that sounds like a podcast for yeah. another time. Too. <laughs> Anyways, you maybe didn't invent it, but you certainly, um, are responsible for this massive explosion that exists today in shed hunting. What did you see? Well, you know, and, and I always tell people, hey, I'm not the guy, the first guy to teach a dog to do this. And I, I'm not, I don't want to go out and take, you know, any credit for that. But I, I love to bow hunt, always have. Uh, I enjoyed shed hunting, but really didn't think about it with the dog. And, and Tina and I love to do it. And it's just a springtime thing that we do. And I thought, well, you know, hey, I'm a dog trainer, should be able to get our dogs to do this <laughs> so just started doing our own dogs and 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 you really kind of realize that there's a community out there that likes doing it and you have all these hunting dogs that you know are busy from september through about the first week of january especially up in our country here yep. different different parts of the country and then what's going on 
really from February, March, April, there's kind of a time span and there's nothing's happening. The mud season, we like to refer to it. And so, you know, it's an activity and it doesn't conflict with your dog's, you know, your ability to hunt birds. And I answer that question a lot when I do seminars that your bird dog will not quit hunting birds because you're going after antlers because that antler will never have the pull that that um, that that bird does and it's not just people who do you know want a multitasker who does ducks pheasants whatever it might be and then shed hunt there's people who just all they do is want a dog to shed hunt right so there you go like well there's a community out there that wants to do it but it seems like to really improve anything whether it's like for hunt tests for you know upland birds or ducks or whatever it is in order as this thing grows is that competition always brings out the best in everybody you know and it brings out better dogs better training so um, we just started developing some products for ourselves to train our own dogs and then once again just like the deadfall trainer stuff it kind of took off and then it's like well let's run on let's have fun and let's let's do a trial Hmm. and that first trial that we ran I think you know, we had other people who did it and said, well, let's, let's get together and do it. And I think we had 12 dogs, mm-hmm. you know, 12 dogs, and let's, let's run a trial. And, you know, it just kind of grew from there. And, and being that we did sports shows and did a lot of things for years, uh, you know, we said, well, let's do one at the um, Minnesota Deer Classic. Hmm. And so we set one up in Blaine. And Remember, what year was that? Ah, uh, well, hey, I'm bad on that. Uh, like I, t- 10 years ago? Yeah, probably somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, but it's a non-shooting sport. So, I mean, literally, we did one downtown Rochester, you huh. know, find a little park and do it. So we were able to do that. And being that it was so new, it really didn't take much to have, you know, media right? go like, what the heck is this? <laughs> so when you're f- first in on something like that, they go like, well, tell us about it. So you get media coverage that sure. you normally wouldn't. If I say, hey, like, I got a dog retrieving a duck now. They go, okay, great. You know, we, we don't need right. any more on that. <laughs> so we were able to d- get a lot of coverage that way. And uh, it's just taken off. And you think about, let's say, duck hunting. I mean, there's not every state that you can go like, man, that's a great duck hunting state, like Nevada or something like that. But there's there's big game. <laughs> You, in, you in know every, the one guy in Nevada <laughs> yeah. that's like they're like a hardcore duck hunter. You're gonna hear about that, right? But I mean, it's not. <laughs> I picked Vermont. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. But there's there's deer in every state, so right. I mean, so the opportunity and the opportunity to do it, and and it's not just a guy thing. It's it, there's as many women doing this. There's kids. It's very family friendly. Um, I mean, I always tell when I'm doing a seminar, some of the the best shed hunting is probably in the metro area because mm. they those deer aren't getting hunted. Um, they're probably eating out of somebody's bird feeder, you know, during the middle of the winter, and um, and going out. And I had a guy I was doing a seminar in Kansas, uh, and he came up after the seminar. He said, "Would you ever consider coming to somebody's place to shed hunt?" And I'm going, oh, <laughs> yeah, "Yeah, I guess." <laughs> and I said, "Well, what's the deal?" And he says, "I farm X amount of thousands of acres, and." I run over those antlers, and it causes more damage huh. to my tires. He had a lot of deer on his place, and and it costs him money every time he, you know, goes down. Be- and those are big, big tractors, too. 
And I thought, you know what? I've never had anybody come up to me after a seminar and say, would you ever consider coming and hunting the pheasants at my right, place? Right. So the opportunities out there, Yeah, too. Jake's looking. Jake, our producer's like, yeah, I'll take that guy's email. <laughs> 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 All right, so, yeah. so I promise, listeners, we'll come back and do a shed hunting mm-hmm. uh, podcast. But the other innovation, I think it was two years ago at SHOT Show, I walked by your booth, I get done hugging Tina, and you're holding the drone. <laughs> And I thought, what's going on here? So how are you using drones to train dogs? Think about everything we've done. I said was a need. And one thing we cannot, just can't duplicate for a duck hunting dog. We can't duplicate a flock of ducks coming into the decoys. And you can have somebody across the pond throw something for you. You can throw something from your side, but... Two things. You don't want your dog knowing that if you're a duck hunter that he should be looking at you in the duck blind to throw something, right? You want him looking out to see where those birds are coming from. And if you have somebody across the pond, he's looking out but down. He's not looking up. So you getting a dog to track was the hardest thing. And you can get a dummy launcher, but when you shoot that dummy, it goes so fast that they really can't see it until it's way out there and it falls years ago i'm going i gotta figure this out so i had remote control bird releaser you know Mm -hmm. what those are like and i had out on a wire way out there i could drag this thing up and i'd have it on a wire you know where i'd have a dummy out there so the dog seen it against the skyline and i could hit the transmitter and it would drop this thing down Hmm. but it, it just was stationary so we're doing a couple of years ago, I was with Bob West from Purina and um, Rick Van Etten from uh, Gundog Magazine. And we're doing videos down in uh, Iowa. And uh, it's kind of in between takes. And they're going to do drone footage of the dogs working. Well, the dog I had with me at the time, obviously he was a duck hunter. He was a little older. And they start putting that drone up in the air to do it, and his eyes are like right there. They're up in the air watching this thing, and I go, hmm. <laughs> and I already had done it with a the little control from the bird releasers. I didn't take the whole big box before, so I go, you know what? I bet I could duct tape, <laughs> you know, that little release mechanism from a bird releaser onto a drone have it out there, hit my transmitter, and it would drop something. Hmm. So Lee Chose, our friend. Your neighbor right down the right road. Right down the road. The famous photographer. He had a drone. And I says, hey, can you bring that thing over? I just want to see if the concept will work. Hmm. And uh, we did it. Sure enough, it worked. And so solving those problems. And, and one thing, think about a young pup. We talked about this a little earlier. Like things are going to go wrong. But what if you could have that first duck hunt, and everybody dreams of this, where that duck comes in, he's 15 yards out there, he's just fluttering there waiting for you to shoot, it falls, the young puppy sees it, he goes out and makes the retrieve. I mean, that would be like icing on the cake. And you're watching it all through your spotting skull. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right, right. So that there, then we go like, all right, we can do it. So I... I then uh, I said, well, I need to find somebody who 
flies drones and and might be able to customize something and somebody knew somebody who knew somebody and uh our, our guy who works on it, he's a, a pro- professional photographer, but he does uh, home drone photography now, mm-hmm. which is a big thing mm-hmm. out there where, you know, they do the whole yeah. deal. And I says, here, is there anything where you can mount like a drop, a little small drop releaser on this and operate it right from the controls? And he goes, yeah, I, I think I can do that. And sure enough, he built me a custom drone to begin with, which I use. And uh, I didn't care. You know, this wasn't something to go out on the market. This was something for what we could do. And started using it, started using it. And it's no different than any other thing that we did. It's like, this This really works. This really, and, and it, not only do we get the dog to watch something, because we can set it up where it comes in from a distance, it comes in. But these dogs, once they know that something's going to drop from it, you can send it out there a long ways without dropping something, and the dog's going to run to it. So you can teach a dog to take a long line, which we do in hand signals, um, to go to it. We we also can drop, we have live bird box, so we can drop a live pigeon out of it. Uh, you know, So we've developed products along the way that complement it as well. Uh, we have dummies now that I can fly out, drop them off into a lake, and they'll stay right where they're supposed to stay. So you can, uh, you don't worry about them drifting away. Like if you can s- do a triple retrieve, the dummies don't drift away. The third one, you know, the first one that you put out there by the time the dog comes back. So out of a need, that's what it was. So we can actually set up a duck hunt with the drone. And Tina, you know, she's out there during the summer, and I says, all right, you know, fly it by me. I want you to, I want you to stop it at this particular point, and I can set up a triple retrieve out on land, and you don't have to have people standing out there and doing it. And the drone shows up for work every day. <laughs> you, you know, and I we don't have that from an employee standpoint, but I'm just saying that the guy who wants to go train by him by himself, he can do things by himself without having to try yeah. to get his buddies. To come in and train with him. Uh, really? Why uh, do you have me involved? A <laughs> good friend of ours, uh, <laughs> Tom Lutz, who uh, who uh, owns uh, everything Gun Dog. He's a customer as well, and he's an avid waterfowler. Once he, uh, we trained his dog with it, and he came and worked with it, and he, and he said, "I'm having one of those." And so now, I mean, he trains by himself, and he swears by it, and they have it on their website. So we now sell a production drone. Okay. Yep. And you can buy it through everything, everything gun dog. And then I know you, you sell Dawkins deadfall trainers. I mean, you can find those almost anywhere, right? Like they're at Cabela's they're at Bass Pro pheasants forever website. Where else can people find those? Russia, Russia, Germany. Okay. You know, and we're, we're lucky. I mean that, that nowadays, especially that if, you know, think about 30 years ago. How would how would the Soviet Union, somebody in the Soviet Union, known about it without the Internet and all of that? So so nowadays, I mean, every I think there's almost every country has them, and we're, we're fortunate. And you teased us about potentially, maybe Tina teased us about potentially there's another innovation coming down the road. Do you want to make any announcements on our podcast today? You know, we're... <laughs> or we're, maybe you could just tell us what you're trying to solve. We're kind of in the testing phase. It's dock and dog supply stuff. We're in the... T- we're always... You know what's unique about what we do is that that 
we are able to test everything that we do until it gets to the point where we go, this is what we want versus we don't have to farm it out. You see what Bob did there? Yeah. He's like, what's the need? What's the need? (laughs) Trying to figure it out. Like, you're not going to give up the trade secret, but I'm going to go. Because I got a pointer that's creeping right before I get to where (laughs) I want. So have you figured that out for me? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Hmm. You know, think about think about what you just talked about what if i could con- what if i can control that flock of ducks which i we're now doing right we could control right. the scenario of a flock of ducks what if what if you could control and, and ronnie smith you know rick and ronnie smith sure. and and i i talked to them uh when we were at pheasant fest and i and they're bird dog guys and i said what if you could control that bird the bird would do everything you wanted it to do so if my po- pup started to creep it would flush. Right? And what if what if you only wanted it to go ten yards? Mm. What if you want you know what if you know what if you could control how far it went? All of those things. So those are some of the things that are out there. And the biggest thing is what's out of your control in dog training. It's then what if you could bring everything that you needed under your control. So those are things that are that are in the works. That, that was a nice little taste. Interesting. It's like yeah, a, like Good a drone stuff. bird. I, I was gonna. I, my guess was a, a deadfall sandhill crane, <laughs> <laughs> like next level big bird. Well, people will say. Has anyone ever asked you for that? People have asked for for stuff, and we'll. What's the craziest bird they've asked for then? I don't think it's necessarily birds, but they say, Rabbits. "Can you make me? Can you do a fox?" Because you know, over in Europe, yeah, or in the knob testing, <laughs> they have to retrieve a fox or do something like that. And I go, well, I said, yeah, we could do it. Deadfall trainer, Fox. I says, how many hundred do you want? Well, I go, well, I only want one. Well, at, at just from the production standpoint, yeah. you go like, well, I mean, boy, I mean, when you're talking about building, having somebody build tooling and stuff, it's not, one would be fine, but I mean, you have to. So if the, the, if the Sandhill Crane Association of North America is listening, if there is one, they need at least a hundred. <laughs> Get there it for is. their bank. Well, <laughs> I use hundred. I use hundred as an example, but I mean, when you're talking about the expense, yeah. and, and I've really learned a lot about manufacturing, and, and I respect the fact that when somebody gets something up off the shelf, let's they say, not just our product, but let's say you go to a hardware store and go like, I bet it only took cost a penny to make this, and it's ten ninety five. Well, there's all of the channels that things have to go through. I, I respect that more now when I see something on a shelf. I know all of the phases that have to go through before yeah. it actually Yeah, ends you should up see all the, the research and development that goes on in here. Mm-hmm. I'll get in the so, shower and I'm like, is there is there a reason this deadfall trainer is hanging from the shower? <laughs> or in the like I'll open the freezer and I'm like, why is there a bird in here, a deadfall trainer in it's there? It's like the Seinfeld moment. Huh? Oh, it, it was Mr. Whoopi. I mean, I'll never forget the day I came in and there was smoke coming out of our oven and I opened the oven and there's like a duck head on fire. A plastic and duck a head. A plastic duck head on fire and I'm going where is Tom? So I walk out. I, I go, there is a duck head on fire in our oven and smokes everywhere. I well, forgot I, I it was, in there. I was trying to see how hot it could get. I'm pretty sure it's really hot right now. <laughs> so what do you want me to do about it? But, yeah, he has a ton. I mean, he's always working and researching and developing and testing stuff. And even the rack wax, he... I come in to find my Burt's beeswax that I have laying everywhere, and I went to go use like five of them, and they were all melted. 
he, he melted all of my Burt's beeswax because he was testing the rack wax, you know, that you have to use on the antlers. And I'm like, do you know how expensive those are? But he was in the research yeah. and development Yeah, they're a bucket quick trip right now. I just saw them there this morning. <laughs> they are. That's a good deal. And that's <laughs> another thing, like finding out that a lot of people don't have birds to train with. So sure. what do they do? They're going to put scent on something. And okay. liquid scent's good, but you go like, what's better than that? Because liquid scent, if you put it on a dummy and throw it in the water, it washes off. If it, If it's dry out, it dries up so it doesn't have the effect. So encapsulating those scents and wax won't rub off when it's in the water, won't, you know, won't dry out. So it's, it's just, is there something better out there? You know, and I, I believe, I don't care if it's dog training products or whatever, there's always something better. I mean, somebody's always coming up with something You know, when you, when you talked about, he should have had an engineering degree. Did you know he was a roper? He was a healer. Hmm. And, and he used to do the horse shows on Sundays and go to all of the um, rodeos. Um, but he got tired of buying the cattle because they'd figure out after three or four runs, they just have to stand there. So he makes this mechanical horse that goes back and forth. And his, our best friend, our best man in our wedding, Dave Mealman came down, he drove into the kennel one day and he saw this mechanical horse going back and forth. And he's like, my best engineers wouldn't have come up with something <laughs> yeah. like that. So he is, I mean, he's really creative, but like his, his ultimate goal is to make it easier for the person, well, for the dogs, really. Well, as we as we start to wind down, because we've got a couple lightning round and some fun things to close it out, <clears throat> I did want to absolutely thank you guys for your commitment to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever over the years. For folks that don't know, you, you've been to every single National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic as a presenter on the dog stage. You've made countless donations to our organization through you know, Deadfall Trainers, which we've used in fundraising, and you've been super committed to our conservation cause. So sincerely, thank you for all that you've done for, for Habitat and our organization. Well, giving back, I mean, we're, we're fortunate that we can give back or give something back, but, um, you know, we're passionate about the sport and, and uh, great organization. I mean, we uh, some of our projects are, are wetland restorations out in South Dakota on our property. We're partnered with Pheasants Forever, Ducks Unlimited and stuff. So, I mean, we're, we're you know, you we're truly, way on board. You truly walk the walk not just talk the talk right you're 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 a couple that's obviously living this right mm -hmm. <laughs> you can look around this this home and see you know these beautiful paintings and taxidermy and you know you you care not just about the dogs not just about the birds but the habitat and everything so thank you um i i, I want to do a couple quick lightning round things uh -oh. and these uh -oh. are going to be you don't have to expound upon them <laughs> because it'll get you in trouble. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no rambling. All right. Here. So male dogs or female dogs, Mr. Tom Dockin? That is just a, it's a coin toss. Kay. It really is. Uh, we've got both males and females that live in the house here with us. Males can be house dogs just as easy. The females, that was kind of, kind of a, you know, misnomer, but I've had the best of both. So there's no. There's Do you have no. a preference, Tina? Female smaller i'm with you um dogs age um when when's the absolute best year what age and does it matter uh by breed 
do different dog breeds mature at different um, rates? From and male female makes a difference there. Females mature much quicker. We learned that in high school. I mean, they, <laughs> I mean, it was just where some of us are still just learning. in high right. school. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, uh, uh, females mature quicker. Males, I think, after they hit two. But I think prime time for most of these hunting dogs, when it's just you know, like now it becomes a lot of fun, where it's just automatic, is probably anywhere from five to eight years of age, because physically they can do it, but they've seen just about everything. What was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> this was supposed to be the lightning round. Yeah, so like, it's taking you long, and I forgot the question. The sweet, like the perfect age where your dog puts it all together. Um, I would say around four to five. Okay. I kind of saw that with my dog, Sassy, that I have right now, but about four to five. It's so enjoyable to hunt with her now. Can a bird dog, pheasant dog, tell the difference between a hen and and a rooster. <laughs> Boy, this no. is a silence. No. I stumped him. No. A slow you know, thunderstorm you know, here. I've, lightning around. You know, I've it's done it. Yeah, exactly. I've done it. I've done, you know, without offending everybody out there who goes, my dog only flushes roosters mm -hmm. or points roosters. Um, yeah, I I don't buy into that, and you know, but somebody's going to call up and go, oh, "He's crazy." My dog does that all the time. I'm, I'm with Tom on this one. Yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm just jumping into the lightning round. I'm, yeah, I'm not a dog. I'm not a dog no. expert. I, I just don't believe it. I, 100%. Like, meet me on a stage. Let's debate. No, 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 no. Bob, would your dog only point hen bob white quail or, or males versus? Uh, no, absolutely not. The theory, right? And I'm not saying I buy into this, but the theory is that, um, that a dog can tell the difference on a hen because, you know, the, the hunter doesn't shoot when the hen flushes. So there's no <coughs> reward. So you call hen, 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 doesn't shoot. It's right? verbal. Yeah, that right? what if you miss? And it, whereas, you know, a, a dog, for instance, a pointer will locate roosters knowing that there will be a reward at the end again i don't believe just for complete clarification yeah. i'm not saying that of my dogs but we see that frequently when i've written about this on a blog mm -hmm. or talked about it on on um, you know kfan or people there are people out there that absolutely will go tooth and nail that they think their dog can tell the difference i think you walk by more hens and that's probably more of a because they hold right. they hold tight. Roosters are what do they have to do when they're on the nest? Hold tight, right? So you go and predator wise, you go buy more hens where a, a rooster is going to have more of a tendency to move, which means you're probably going to see more. Your dog's going to stumble and bump up. I'm going to see. You know, South Dakota State is like pheasant U. That's like a big research sure. institution. Uh, a lot of wildlife professionals go there. Yep. I might see if they want to make this a study. You know they. Colleges don't they study everything? Yeah. They got to study this. Right, like, the world is dying to know. They need a project. Yeah. They need a project. Who knows? Right. I could put, be wrong. Put this to bed once and for all. Yeah. yeah. All right. The last phase of our podcast <laughs> is we have the Easter egg hunt, okay. where we have um, some your traditional plastic Easter eggs that we all hunted for as little kids. Uh -huh. Inside each of these eggs is a random question. 
You uh, you each get to pick an Easter egg and answer the question oh, for you us. You know I'm going to pick the green one. So, uh, Green's my favorite color. So this better be a good question. All right. W- ladies first. Tina Dockin with the green oh. Easter egg. What question did you I didn't, get? And I didn't bring my cheaters with me. So let me see here. What's your most memorable bird hunt of all time? Oh, this is pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> no stump here, Bob. No. Um, I had um, um, gotten this gun. My other gun went down, so I got this new gun. Of course, it was a Franke, which, which makes it an even nicer story. And I was walking. I just started to walk up the road to get to my spot. I must have taken maybe 20 steps. And all of a sudden, all these roosters and hens got up. And I went, bam, bam, bam. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just shot three roosters (laughs) in 10 seconds. And I'm going. And then I said, oh, that's not good. Because my hunting is done for the day. (laughs) And so, but then the best part of it was when I had to heal up my dog and I had to tell her dead bird. So I told her dead bird, she went and got the first one. And I'm thinking, she's not going to believe me on the second one. (laughs) Because, you know, because some of them were a little bit longer shot. And so I said dead bird and she trailed it out, came back and got it. And then the third one, I'm like, there is no way she's going to believe me on this one. So I said, dead bird again. And she just went out and out and out. And then she came back. And I'm like, that was the best free retreats wow. I've ever seen. Because she believed me. But then she she had to work harder on the last one. So, yeah, by far that was that was the best. You hunt. need a painting of that yeah. particular hunt on this wall somewhere. That's spectacular. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, it was... Yeah, the hunt was done, but the dog work was just so much fun for me to watch her actually do that. So. And that's your own moment. Tom didn't see that from like a no, mile away. yeah, he, <laughs> he 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 did not. He did. He wasn't in scoping view. Um, yeah, that so you're aware of. That that I was aware okay. of for sure. That's cool. Mine was what? What's the name of your favorite hunting spot? The I'll nickname be, of your favorite nickname. Spot. Well. Because you don't have to tell us the exact coordinates unless you well, would like to. I, I, you know, I don't know if there's if there's one, but I'm I'm gonna say the nickname, and you guys will know what it, it's gonna be. SD. <laughs> That's a big place, Tom, South Dakota. <laughs> it, you know, it it's it it's one of those where you you know you have places where you have the memories of mm-hmm. of of the best things that you've done, and and South Dakota. You know, we're we're fortunate. We're in Minnesota, but we're fortunate that when you think about it, we have South Dakota, North Dakota, Iowa's coming back. You know, they're coming mm-hmm. back. We've got Canada around us. So we've got like, I mean. Yeah, I noticed we've the got, uh, license plates that you have in your vehicle are not Minnesota license plates. Right. You know, Tina Homestead's our place here in Minnesota, and, and then I have a South Dakota residency. Uh, we're fortunate to be able to spend a good amount of time out there and and you know that duck license is is always a draw. You have to draw sure. to get it, and uh, and I've had years where we didn't draw. And duck hunting is not a good spectator sport, <laughs> you know. So so we're lucky. We're lucky that we're able to Although do that. You but enjoyed watching but, me but South Dakota, I mean, uh, SD South South Dakota would be like it, it has a lot of good memories for us. Anthony, Jake, any final thoughts? Any final questions? Yeah, Jake, you've been awfully silent today. 
<laughs> oh, that's right. We, we're all out of microphones. <laughs> well, how about this one? Jake, Jake, Jake doesn't, uh, Jake doesn't have his headphones on here, but he's he's a guy in search of a dog. He's dogless. He's I the know one where you can guy. find one. Sure. Yeah, he. Is that right? So I'm. Uh, have you had one before, Jake? No, I have not. Okay. Yeah. We've got right now, as yeah. of Thursday, um, we've got two yellow lab puppies that are going to go to Hank Williams <laughs> Jr. down huh. in Tennessee. Um, and there's one puppy I think that's going to be left in that litter, a female. So, but <laughs> but re- <laughs> but regardless, it's I not mean, a hard uh, sell, Jake. You get a ride to think yeah, about it here. Yeah. Well, Jake, they're both the same personality, roughly, but. You gotta ask yourself the hair thing. You know, when you're hunting, is really difficult. To what get the color is your What color is your furniture? Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, we're talking about a you know guy that's a, a nomad at the moment. That's so good. He can get the furniture to match the dogs. Well, well we do that when we, we that. when we went to get in floor, floor furnishings. We brought in black dog hair, brown dog hair, and some dirt in a baggie, and go let's <laughs> let's see. What matches? Because if you've oh, got classic. a dog in the house, it's not that there's not going to be dog hair there. It's, you just don't have to look at it sure. constantly. So yeah, yeah. it blends. It blends in. Can't you see the great sweeping job? You I know, did, I did not do. <laughs> just since we were talking, those are golden retrievers. Yellow labs. Yo, those are yellow yep. labs. Yep. Well, it. Uh, I mean, don't all dogs shed? Isn't that just it? Does yeah. It, does it really matter at some point? I mean, th- th- it seems like everybody. Th- this is my final thought, but everybody that I talk to that's thinking about getting a dog or they want this breed or that breed. And it's this fighting over, like, just get what you want. All all dogs shed, whatever you want. Jake, if you want a lab, get a lab. If you want a Springer, get a Springer. If you want that golden that you shot your first bird over golden, just, just get a golden and then just do the work and clean it up. Yeah. Yeah. But then my final thought is, but if you're going to do that, buy the best Mm -hmm. possible bloodlines you can. I mean, because that little extra you spend in the front end, I mean, it makes, like, all the difference in the world. Yeah. You should let them see Ginger. Yeah, let's go Let's go get Jake a puppy, should we? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. It's thank been you. a really fun conversation. For sure. Uh, having a great time learning about the the evolution of um, you know <laughs> women's hunting equipment and in your growth as a hunter and you know the courtship tom so um guarantee this we'll be back to do this again Good. if you'll let us yeah uh, but thank you very much been great having you along on uh, the second episode ever of, yeah. uh, on the wing with pheasants forever and quail forever that's tina dockin tom dockin uh, great supporters of our organization, and uh, we'll catch you all down the road when the uh, roosters flush and a covey of quail rise. See ya. Thank you.